people will get it. They get what curiosity is. So it's all good. Yeah, it's true. It killed the cat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow. Help. Yeah. St. Bernard, we need you. An eloquent speaker saint. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Welcome back to the Modern Lady Podcast. You're listening to episode 104. Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Lindsay. And today we are talking about humility again. St. Vincent de Paul once said, Humility is nothing but truth and pride is nothing but lying. We are all searching for authenticity and for what is real in this world. And as we alluded to last week, the pursuit of humility is a pursuit of things as they truly are. But as in any pursuit, there are pitfalls to look out for and degrees to strive towards. And today we're going to take a look at some of those. But first, this podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. How about you? Do you want more from the modern lady? Become a Patreon supporter and for just $5 a month, you will have exclusive access to our sister podcast, The Friday Finishing School. Find us by going to patreon.com forward slash the modern lady podcast. Another way that you can support this show is by subscribing to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts so that you never miss an episode. We are also so thankful for every rating, review, and comment you leave us. Your reviews on iTunes help new listeners discover us. This week's shout out goes to Um Jojo, who left us a five-star review on iTunes and said, quote, I have to say that I've been listening to the Modern Lady podcast for the last year since doing a self-study on what it means to me to embrace womanhood, femininity, and being a homekeeper. I am a Black American Muslim woman who has been able to find so much joy and meaning in this podcast. My life is different from Michelle and Lindsay, but I find so much commonality too. The Lent episodes gave me so much to think about during Ramadan and helped expand my view of fasting. I learned so much in this space, even when I disagree. Thank you for such an outstanding, well-researched, informative, and fun podcast." End quote. Thank you so much, I'm Jojo, for this comment. You have no idea how excited we were to get your message and to hear how we've been able to connect on so many of these topics. We really appreciate you reaching out and saying hi, and we're so glad that you're here. And if you would like to leave us a comment, you can do so on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com, or you can leave us a comment on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, where you can find us at The Modern Lady Podcast. But before we get into today's chat, Lindsay has our Modern Lady Tip of the Week. We return now to the mid-18th century. We are looking through the school workbook of a 14-year-old George Washington who copied out the 110 Rules of Civility. We look now at rule number 23. When you see a crime punished, you may be inwardly pleased, but always show pity to the suffering offender. Rule number 30. In walking, the highest place in most countries seems to be on the right hand. Therefore, place yourself on the left of him who you desire to honor. But if three walk together, the mid place is the most honorable and the wall is usually given to the most worth if two walk together. Rule number 32. To one that is your equal or not much inferior, you are to give the chief place in your lodging and he to who tis offered ought at first to refuse it, but at second to accept it, though not without acknowledging his own unworthiness. Rule number 37. In speaking to men of quality, do not lean nor look them full in the face, nor approach too near them, at least keep a full pace between them. No close talkers. We will end with this last one today, but don't be upset. I am not done with these yet, and we will continue next week. Rule number 40. Strive not with your superiors in argument, but always submit your judgment to others with modesty. Now, Michelle, do you know which one jumped out at me here? There were so many gems, but Mm -hmm. it was the walking one and the right side. Do you remember, I think back in the first season, we did the walking etiquette on how about when you're passing others, you keep to the right. Do you remember that one? My goodness, I don't remember it. 
What did we say? Your your family were professional walkers at that time and you were bike riding. So it really stuck with you. Do you recall? Okay. Yes. Yes. Now I do. (laughs) And now that one out of like all of our tips, that one has stayed with me and I go walking a lot and I'm like, stay right, stay right, stay right. Yes. (laughs) It was a good reminder from George Washington. Yeah. Well, yeah. So I knew that just from practice, like from Mm -hmm. human experience, but I didn't know it was because the because of the level of the ground. Was I hearing that correctly? It's because the right side is higher. Yeah. So that is in regards to honor and like walking with someone else versus just like passing someone. Right. Our other one was about Mm. passing. But this one is, yes, if you were walking with someone who you are inferior to, um, they get the higher part of the ground. So it would be less muddy, right? Less dirty. Mm. It would be cleaner Mm -hmm. uh, for them. I realized so much of the civility of um, America at that time still was about class like order, right. was about honor and who you had to pay honor to. Um, so they really brought that over from England with them. I think that that is such a different thing from our time right now. It all revolved around honor. Yeah. And cleanliness, like keeping the honorable people out of the mire that you now have to walk in. That's right. How humble, how humble. Last week, we dipped our toe, as it were, into the vast discussion on humility, what it is, why it's necessary, and how to begin the process of cultivating it in our lives. Now, we're taking a bit of a deeper look into the parts of our lives and our culture that both help and hinder our quest for a humble heart, and what it may actually look like living in the day-to-day in our modern world. Right, Lindsay? Yeah, so you had sent me a really great article and linked to an audiobook on the writings of St. Bernard of Clairvaux. He mm-hmm. is a doctor of the church, uh, a great, great man, and he wrote these 12 steps of pride and then, you know, the steps of humility, and he uses a mountain. Um, but I thought first we just very briefly look at who St. Bernard of Clairvaux is because it's a name we hear all the time in Catholicism, but it's not somebody I've ever actually looked into. And Mm -hmm. he has quite a remarkable life. So he was born in Burgundy, France to noble parents, and they lived in a castle and he was born in the year 1090. So he had all the trappings of wealth, but despite their earthly riches, his parents were incredibly pious people, and they raised all of their children in the faith and to take their faith um, very seriously. In fact, like that's what they studied in school. And his mother is now Blessed Alice, and his father is Venerable Teslin. And they brought seven children into the world. Six have been beatified, and the seventh mm. is Saint Bernard of Clairvaux. Uh, that's not his birth order, but he's the only one that has, so far has been actually canonized. Um, wow. Yeah, and is wow. a doctor of the church. <laughs> yep. Um, so all of his children entered religious life, even the married one. Now I haven't had a chance to figure out exactly how that happened, but the mm-hmm. one son who got married, his wife and daughter also became nuns and are have also become beatified. So even the in-laws what? have been beatified. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about an inclusive family culture. Yes, yes. And the youngest son, he is Blessed Navard. They said to him, like the whole family's like, well, you get all of our earthly riches because the mom and dad also entered into religious life. Like they gave it all. And wow. he said to them, you take heaven and you leave me only with the earth, with your <gasps> earthly riches. And he said, the division is too unequal. So he too did not want the earthly riches. I don't know what happened with it, but he also entered into religious life and is also has also been beatified. So the thing with this family and with St. Bernard in particular is that he always said that he didn't want to follow Christ from behind. He wanted to overcome Christ. He wanted to get right up beside him and walk alongside him. And I think this is so interesting because to me, the idea of overcoming Christ seems prideful (laughs) for a man Mm. who wrote all about humility, but he wanted to just draw as close to Christ's side as possible. And I think that this is incredible. Now he happened to live during the time of one of the crusades, but 
he entered into his monastic life and then founded many other different orders, or I guess he became the abbot of other uh, monasteries. Um, And he was so infectious in his way of inviting men to take their vows alongside him that mothers would actually dissuade their sons from going to hear him speak because he just like gathered. He made the (laughs) monastic life so attractive to these men who really were like, do I become a knight and fight in the crusades or do I become a monk? And so many of them chose to become monks. They saw it as a higher chivalry, a higher knighthood to live. Um, So yeah, just a really convincing man who just was also incredibly edifying to all that heard him speak and clearly came from that type of family. So yeah, I I am now after this episode, I'm going to learn a lot more about St. Bernard of Clairvaux and of his remarkable family. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that about his family growing up. I think Mm -hmm. that's incredible. Talk about pressure for parents. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> know, right? yeah. No yeah. pressure, right? Um, just all of your children are l- literal saints. Yes. Um, <laughs> I think he's such a fascinating saint. Um, I read that he he like counseled five popes direct mm. directly. Um, he mm-hmm. was sought after, like you said, for his eloquent speaking, but that he was truly pious. I think I saw somewhere, um, I think it was the Britannica dot com website it mentioned that he was offered bishoprics what are they yep. called bishoprics uh, bishoprics yeah <laughs> thank you um but he refused them yes like he, multiple times yeah yeah that he was so um focused he seemed like a very focused man on well as you're saying with humility i guess he's mm-hmm. the go-to um who he is and what god needed for him to do and he did it really really well yeah. Um, he was, uh, he's just obviously a man who understood the world, was aware of what was going on in the world. But for him, it was always framed with that perspective of faith and that what God wants is most important overall. Yeah. And he was so respected, you know, not only by his fellow churchgoers and, you know, Catholics at the time, but just by everybody, it is said that he carried the entirety of the 12th century on his back, that he was the man of the century. So I guess we can humble ourselves (laughs) and learn a little bit about what he said about, you know, growing (laughs) in the spiritual life. Okay, so as we alluded to, he discusses um, pride and humility, and he uses the imagery of a mountain, that we ascend the mountain, and then we have to come back down the mountain. And when we read, we'll read out the list first, and then we'll talk about more about each one. But let me just say, like, if I was handed a questionnaire, and it asked me to list 12 things about myself, I would have listed <laughs> all 12 things <laughs> that he says here about pride. And I would have thought that they were like the best parts of my personality. I wouldn't have seen them as faults. <laughs> so this was incredibly jarring for me and incredibly it's... edifying. Okay. But okay. Let's do it then. Like, Let's look at the list. Okay, mm-hmm. so we'll just go over them again briefly. So the 12 things are curiosity, levity of mind, giddiness, oh no, um, boasting, <laughs> singularity, self-conceit, presumption, self-justification, hypocritical confession, freedom to sin, and the last one is habit of sinning. So journey with us now to the bottom of the pride mountain as we start at the very bottom and work our way up and we start with curiosity mm-hmm. i kind of um like you when you said that you <laughs> read all this and you're like oh mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, i actually have written in my notes the very first point of the very first step is i choked a bit when i read this one <laughs> curiosity <laughs> Like, oh, this is not starting well for me Um, because I thought about our, our, you know, our love of falling down the rabbit holes. Mm -hmm. And I was like, but I love rabbit holes. I love falling down them. So, you know, having said that, I was looking more into curiosity. And what I can gather is that healthy curiosity is a good thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But that this is referring to the fact that we shouldn't delve into things that do not pertain to us or our station in life, right? So I think about this in terms of our access, really, to news and technology. 
back in the day, you would really only know what was happening in your immediate community and perhaps what was going on via the daily newspaper or like the 6 p.m. newscast. Um, But now we know way too much, perhaps, than we really need to know in order to go about the business of our daily lives. So I think it's when we are really inordinately interested and we are like meddling into things that we shouldn't, um, especially when we think we have the right to know, um, that's probably where it turns prideful. Like, why do we think we have the right to know certain things? Yes, exactly. It's this entitlement. It's this that we should know. And so you and I talk a lot privately as well, reminding each other to stay in our lanes, right? You were saying this, Mm. like we really only need to know what we need to know for our vocations and to do uh, our jobs right. And our vocation is, is wife and mother, right? And so this isn't the church saying, don't become educated, ladies. Don't further your education. Don't learn more. No, it's not that at all. It's about not filling your mind with useless information that causes more anxiety, more worry, um, takes you away from those duties. We do love learning, but it is, it's, it's a, it's when it goes too much. And it's about things that we really don't need to know about. Like when I went, fell down a serial killer rabbit hole last week, I did not need to know that it was too much (laughs) terrible information. Um, (laughs) And this is something I've really tried to overcome for years, actually, through spiritual direction. Um, Father Ripperger, he talks about curiositas, which is curiosity in Latin. And so it is something that I've actually been looking into over the years and have really tried to overcome uh, within myself. And I think that for me, and I think it's really important to identify what it is that triggers pride within each one of us. And for Mm. me, it's having the power. It's power to me, right? Knowing little things about people or situations that maybe not every everybody knows. Yeah. I puff myself up being like, "Mm, I was entrusted with this special little bit of information that not everybody else knows. That's the pride for me that I need to detach from. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's a really good point because even when we do talk about like a healthy curiosity of things in our world, I, Mm -hmm. I think that it's very, very different. Like if you have a keen interest in wanting to learn about butterflies You don't have to worry about this being a prideful thing. Like, that's not the kind of curiosity we're talking about. That's right. (laughs) Right? Um, Butterflies may not pertain to your station in life, but that is something (laughs) that focuses on the natural world. And really, I think this first step of the mountain is just like uh, prying, maybe. It's Gnosticism, right? Having like Mm -hmm. secret knowledge that no one else knows. Um, That's kind of the direction we're going into. So number two is levity of mind. Again, this is you and I written all over it. Um, So this is something we have addressed in some of our other episodes, but we've never used that term because I've never come across it before. But it refers to being constantly distracted from some of the more perhaps hard to handle, serious, sober aspects of life by things when we're distracted from those things by things like social media bad entertainment. So we're talking like nonsense TV, reality shows, um, just mindless uh, TV, bad movies, and things even like idle gossip. And it, it maybe isn't meant as gossip in that kind of way, but it is like that kind of conversation where you're talking about others just to fill the time because there's nothing else to talk about. Just that idle chit chat. Um, Michelle, do you recall when we did our gossip episode, you said something like, um, Small minds discuss people, big minds discuss ideas, Mm -hmm. that kind Mm -hmm. of thing. Yes. I Yeah, I looked up that quote and it's often misattributed to several people, but the full version is small minds discuss people, average minds discuss events, great minds discuss ideas. Now, I don't think either one of us is... I like judging the size of people's minds, but or their hearts, but there is still something to be said about that quote, right? Like, um, I'm all for being silly when silliness is called for when it is appropriate. But I think that we need to like figure out, are we being foolish or making light of things that are actually more serious because we don't want to be wounded. We don't want to have to face those things at that time. We don't want to be brought back down to reality. Um, and so that's where the pride works in with that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to me, this one sounded like the concept of escapism. Yeah. Um, but taken too far, 
because I yeah. too enjoy a bit of frivolity and humor <laughs> as much as the next person. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I can see how an overindulgence in them would start to distract you from paying due attention to important questions about life um, that might make you uncomfortable, right? Yeah. And so to have a balance here would be ideal, but too much levity of mind pulls you further and further away from considering what is truly important. Yep. And then the next step of levity of mind, and it is, I guess you can see like where that starts to lose more control becomes giddiness. So you and I, Michelle, have been referencing Monsignor Charles Pope's notes on these 12 steps. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, he says that giddiness is the natural progression of levity left unchecked. But I think the one thing that he said that was so interesting to me is that he describes it as when someone maximizes the minimum and minimizes the maximum. Mm -hmm. And it isn't, so it isn't just making light of serious things. It's also making um, lighter things unnecessarily heavy. And I do that too. Like it's just that unbalanced (laughs) Mm. approach. Um, I shared recently an Instagrammer that I love um, that she had written, and I don't remember her exact words, but somebody had asked her to sum up how her life has been lately. And she said that for her husband, and her and her three kids that the little things right now are little and the big things are big that they've struck mm. that kind of equilibrium and so yeah i that's what that means to me now that i'm understanding this more it isn't just this um excitability <sighs> right it's just yeah. putting things in its proper place and feeling the right thing at the right time Right. I was really struck by that quote, too, that maximizing the minimum and minimizing the maximum. Mm -hmm. And I just think it's so interesting because uh, how we see this in terms of stumbling block of humility, which is an ordered view of yourself from God's perspective. Mm -hmm. And so when you start to get too much into this levity of mind, this giddiness, it starts to distort our perspectives and become more scattered and thereby becoming maybe more inappropriately prioritized. Mm -hmm. So this brings us to the next uh, step of pride, which is boasting. It's thinking too highly of ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. And we start to... You know, we all know what boasting sounds like. We start to claim things that we don't necessarily have or we forget um, whatever is good in our lives is a grace and a gift from God. And one particular interesting note that I was reading about is that it locks us in our own little world. Mm. That's what Monsignor Pope says in his article and his reflections. And it just makes us start thinking that those little things that we've been fixating on in levity of mind and in our giddiness are actually the important things. Like we start to kind of lose that grip on reality and seeing things as how they are. And we could begin to consider them in and of themselves as these signs of greatness and grandeur. Yes. And again, I'm really good at this. And when I was reflecting on this, um, I realized that like, the greatest stories that I love to tell and that generate the greatest reactions from people, um, just that really fun storytelling. I don't usually exaggerate. Like I don't usually have to lie because I've had so many crazy things happen in my life, but I have found that those stories that I love sharing and I guess boasting about are things that are foolish or often sometimes like the sinful things in my past. And I learned that that is boasting as well. It isn't always lying or, you know, exaggerating that sometimes it is just being, focusing too much on the foolish things that we've done in our life when we're sharing these stories. And Mm -hmm. it's not the same as sharing things that we were successful about or things that, you know, we use our talents for and then giving God those successes. It's not the same thing. There's there's a bit of a a difference in those. And I know that within myself that there is a character I play kind of that's different when I'm boasting Mm -hmm. about things. Um, so Michelle, you mentioned like that boasting starts to put us into a bubble. Um, and Mm -hmm. that perfectly leads into the next one, which is singularity. Now this one, um, this one is all about thinking that we are totally self-made, that we are solely responsible for our success, that we seek our own counsel. We only trust ourselves. Monsignor Pope wrote the man who seeks his own counsel has a fool for an advisor. And yep, that's me 100%. This one totally hits home. Yes. We alluded to this in last week's episode when we spoke about how a humble man practices the virtue of prudence. 
right? That he seeks the counsel of others versus the proud believe that their first instinct is always the right one, no questions asked. Yep. And I think we kind of see a lot of this, actually, this growing sense of singularity, uh, especially on social media, this whole idea of cancel culture, of unfollowing people just because they don't share your views, of telling people maybe to unfollow you for similar reasons. Mm -hmm. I think it's a bit of a departure from this idea that you're not a one-man show, right? And it may be rising today with the help of social media and the ability to choose to only listen to whoever you want to or whoever may affirm your own estimations or opinions. It's just dangerous territory to slip towards and to veer towards. Yeah, because I thought about it only in terms of like only trusting my own advice. But you're right. The bubble can also be an echo chamber. And never before Mm -hmm. in history have we been able to have such immediate access to people who can bounce back our own ideas to us, right? And choosing who we listen to. So you're right. Singularity, I think, also can be that type of echo chamber that social media can give us. Mm -hmm. And so when we tend to isolate ourselves like this into that bubble, into that echo chamber, we kind of stumble into the next step, which is self-conceit. This is an unduly high opinion of our own ability and worth. I think the name is pretty (laughs) self-explanatory. Self-conceit, right? And it happens when our world gets even smaller. Um, It's an oxymoron, but as the world gets smaller for you, your pride will swell even more. And you become more and more, this was really interesting, Mm -hmm. self-reverential. You know, that all of a sudden things become true because we say it's true. And we tend to deny or not want to look at the fact that we are a mix of both strengths and weaknesses. Um, that we can be able to find faults in other people, but we stop being able to see it in ourselves. And we will compare ourselves only to those that we look down upon. And in so doing, this conceit puffs ourselves up. So I actually, when I was reading that, I was actually thinking that this might be related to the rise of relativism Mm. in our culture today. And this idea that there is no arbitrary truth out there, but that truth is whatever any one person thinks, feels, or says it is. And I never considered it in the exact words of self-referential, but what I'm noticing more in these steps is a continual cutting off of other people, including God in a person's life. Yeah, the whole my truth, right? Yeah. The my yes. truth movement. It that you can't that won't be sustained. It can't sustain that idea of just sharing my individual truth. Um so back to what he said here. So when Monsignor Pope said it, he said, um, here is described an unjustly favorable, a, a high opinion of oneself, right? Like you were saying. Mm-hmm. And I think that unjustly is the key word here, though. So it, this doesn't mean that we can't recognize our own talents and strengths. Um, and if we're Christians, we do that. And then we give all the glory back to God. And then it goes back to that the first part of the humility episode we were saying when we talked about who we're holding ourselves up against. Like you said, we're really good at comparing ourselves to the people below us. <laughs> That's mm. easy to do. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> right. But as we said there, too, really moving past that is the only person that you can hold yourself up against is Jesus. That's the only person that we should be trying to compare ourselves up against and then rise to meet instead of mm. yeah, looking at everybody else below us. So self-conceit. It's a tricky one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And if you fall a little bit too much into that unjust perception of yourself, then Mm -hmm. it leads into presumption, right? Yes. Which is the next step. Um, And what this degree is saying is that now even God must cede to our own judgment (laughs) of ourselves. (laughs) Like it's not, it's not enough anymore that we have put our own opinions above other people that now our opinions even top gods, especially in relation to how he sees us. So this article was saying that it's actually a sin against the virtue of hope, right? And that hope teaches that we have to confidently ask for God's help and salvation. He doesn't force it on us, but we, we know that we can ask and that's what hope is and that he will answer us. Pride just, kind of totally ignores that and says that we have no need to ask. We probably already have it because we've determined that we're actually pretty good. Yes. And I think that 
This also comes into how we view others and presuming things about them as well. And so when we lift ourselves up and believe that we're above that, we we also don't extend that same mercy then to other people as well. And mm. we make presumptions about them. It distorts, again, our reality and it distorts our ability to see ourselves clearly, other people clearly, and God clearly, our relationship to God. So the next one is self-justification and Monsignor Pope says self-justification is the attitude that says I am able to by my own power to justify to save myself and it is it's just a natural continuation of uh, presumption of the one we just talked about and so basically it means if I can save myself I don't need a savior it is also when we have a reason for everything when we make a mistake and someone calls us out on it and we are just ready instead of accepting that we have made a mistake and asking for forgiveness we are ready to justify it and Michelle don't you have a recent example of this in your own house (laughs) (laughs) yes as recent as perhaps this morning (laughs) yes a nameless child will say um you know, we've been noticing lately that they have a tendency to try to deflect the gravity of what has happened or maybe something that they've done to make it seem okay. Yeah. Um, I've thought a lot about this. They're still very young, so it could be a coping mechanism. Yeah. Um, and I totally recognize that. I also acknowledge that it could be the beginnings of a personality that is easygoing, <laughs> yeah. which I want. Like just trying to find like, well, at least it wasn't blah, blah, blah. Um, but at this moment, on the surface, it certainly presents itself like a knee-jerk desire to preserve a bit of their pride <laughs> mm-hmm. and make everything seem like, well, it's not that bad, right? And yeah. so this is a- exactly what we're talking about with self-justification, that it's like you can look at any situation, any kind of flaw or fault, and immediately come up with a reason why either it's actually a good thing um, or that it's really not that bad. So we yeah. really don't need to focus on me. <laughs> like, yeah. like ignore the man behind the curtain type of thing <laughs> with the, <laughs> the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> yes, yes. And I think this leads perfectly into the next one because, okay, so with hypocritical confession, it's like you give just enough of what you've done wrong <laughs> to be like, look at mm. me, I admit it. See, I admit it. This is what's wrong with me. Um, the word hypocrite. Uh, is a Greek word and it means actor. And I think this one is fascinating because they will admit enough to get a little credit, to earn a little street cred for being self-aware. Um, mm. It's, But it's more about, yeah, earning that kind of social credit than it is about seeking redemption. So it's like the self-justification. They make all these excuses and they go, okay, 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 wait, I admit it. You know, I shouldn't have done this or this is a fault of mine, but it isn't it isn't true contrition and it isn't true self-awareness. They're just still deflecting and they are basically acting like the word hypocrite means. Yeah, I actually didn't know about that, the Greek origins of the word hypocrite. And I found that Mm -hmm. so interesting that ultimately we're pretending so that people will think better of us, right? Yes, Uh, yes. And that how weird it is isn't it strange so this is kind of playing off that that we think that there are like socially acceptable things to admit guilt of yes. and that that actually increases our pride or our estimation in other people's minds yes I don't even know how to like comment further on it but I think it's such a striking and convoluted thought <laughs> That is something I think now that you're saying that is so prevalent in social media right now, right? It's like making this announcement, making this confession, you're burying your soul, but you're just saying the smallest thing where it's like virtue signaling, where it's like, I'll admit to this. Okay. And you hang your head in shame there. I've admitted it. Um, Mm. But it's, it is nothing. It's just another way of seeking the adoration of others to be like, wow, look at how brave she is for admitting that one thing. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I just realizing that this kind of cycle really is being perpetuated on social media right now and is a bigger problem perhaps than we even thought it was before we started writing our notes. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because I truly believe that there is a place for actual acknowledgement. And I think it does a lot to help maybe speak on an issue that maybe mm-hmm. people aren't totally thinking about to express some of the growth that you've had personally in a particular yeah. area. But it, it is, it does seem like 
a little uncanny sometimes when one isolated issue, but like everyone has this revelation all at the same time. Right. It, yeah, it's a little uncanny. So that is an interesting point. <laughs> I feel like sometimes too, this is what we can force upon others in this time of cancel culture that we can force a hypocritical confession out of them by applying that kind of pressure being like, but aren't you sorry for that? Shouldn't you feel mm. sorry for that? Mm. And then they'll relinquish just enough. That's right. Just to earn back that street credit. And then everybody's like, yay, we did it. And then they move on. And then the whole thing just replays itself over and over again. And I think one of the key markers of a um, hypocritical confession is that there's no actual change. Right. I think that that's when, you know, when it's that where somebody just says it, they they pay lip service to it uh, and then they're like, OK, you've done like a little check mark, but they actually haven't been transformed or changed themselves or uh, done. It's just the talk, all the talk without the walk. Right. So I think mm -hmm. that that's one of the markers of a hypocritical confession. OK, so, you know, on the other side of the scale, I think when the discussion starts to devolve even further from these confessions, from these little bubbles. We start to recognize that other people are in their own bubbles. We don't like their bubbles. Uh, and so this leads to the next step, which is revolt, right? And this is like openly going against um, God, his lawful representatives. Monsignor Pope says it's renouncing allegiance, accountability, or obedience to God, his word, or his church, because of course we know better, right? Yeah. Um, and I just took this even one step further to just like even authority just as the overarching theme of what it is. It's just this revolt of thinking you know better and then acting against it. And yeah. I think this one can be sneaky. <laughs> there is, of course, obvious rebellion in the world. But when it comes to our interior motivations, I think there could be a danger in not being aware of our own human desire to justify what we want or ideally hope to see, uh, and that it goes so far as to condemn authority. And I know I'll say I think it's good to be critically minded, and I've never minded asking questions or being asked questions. But when push comes to shove, you know, considering that there may be information that I'm missing, uh, given that I'm not party to many aspects of levels of authority in my own life. Um, yeah, it's something that is really probably very hard to square inside of you to know what the balance and the difference is between disagreement and then just all out revolt. Yeah, I think that when we go back to the mountain, when we are, because we're reaching the peak here, um, mm -hmm. when it's when it's all out revolt, it is the beginning of the end. Uh, it is the throwing off of authority. And like you were saying, it isn't just from God, like it starts, um, you know, with our parents, it can be our bosses, it can be the law and or God, it is the non-servium the i will not serve um mm -hmm. i've heard it said before that the devil's favorite song is frank, frank sinatra's i did it my way right. it is the <laughs> ultimate song of i will not serve and mm -hmm. so but i love that you said that it is that it is sneaky that it can sneak mm -hmm. up upon us right because it seems like such a decisive action it seems like everybody joining together and throwing up their fists and revolting but it starts in so many little ways within our own hearts and that sometimes we don't even realize it until we are full out in revolt against the authority against often the people who love us the most and want the most for us yeah. So when we're at that point, if we haven't been paying attention to those tiny little stirrings of revolt within our own hearts, which happens with everyone, and it often happen happens against the people that really do love us um, and that want what's best for us. And we all go through those periods of pushing, of testing boundaries, right? I mean, that is what teenagerhood is all about. Um, mm -hmm. But if we don't pay attention and learn to check those things and check our pride and why we want to revolt, um, yeah, suddenly we can be at the tip of that, the top of that mountain and becoming to a point where it's almost hard to climb back down that it, this is really the the first step of the beginning of the end where we've completely lost ourselves to pride yeah kind of like the point of no return right yep. once you've made the concrete decision to revolt it's really hard to come back from that not impossible yeah. but it, it makes it exponentially harder than probably a lot of the previous steps up to this point 
So within all of us, there's an intrinsic desire to fight, but to fight for what's good, right? We want to, we are defenders, especially within men. They want to protect. And we have that too with our, with our children and within our motherhood. So there is this desire to fight for what's right and what's good. And I think that when we come to a place in the world where life is actually really good, <laughs> which, it actually, which it actually is right now, aside from the pandemic, no other time in history have we had such an abundance of freedom and food and safety and medical care and uh, jobs and money and all of these things. But we still have within us this desire to defend that which is good. And so if it's channeled into the right thing and fighting for God and goodness and ultimate truth and authority, um, that's a good thing. But when we don't have it steered in the right direction, it turns to revolt. Those Mm. feelings within us, we want to fight. But if it's not channeled in the right direction, it becomes revolt and it becomes a pushback against the things that we think are holding us back. But they're the things keeping us from all out anarchy. Uh, There's the Mm -hmm. whole story of St. George and the dragon. And I forget which author um, ultimately wrote about this. Douglas Murray refers to it a lot, but he didn't create this idea of St. George in retirement. So there's Mm -hmm. the famous story Mm -hmm. of St. George fighting the dragon. But then when he goes into retirement, he keeps looking for things to fight until he's swinging his sword at the air. And that is to me what it means by revolt. You're just swinging your sword at the air fighting when there's Mm -hmm. nothing left to fight. Um, so yeah, we, we know that within us, we have this desire to defend that, which is good, but we have to make sure that we are fighting for goodness's sake, for God's sake, and not just, um, what we personally, (laughs) my truth, uh, right. And then we're just kind of swinging our sword at the air. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. And so this brings us, as you were saying, even closer to the peak, this is the step of freedom to sin. Um, this is a really arrogant assertion that now you're free to do absolutely whatever you want, right? Mm-hmm. You have taken care of all the restraints, all the limits, all those annoying little um, pricks of your conscience. And now you are able to become the sole arbitrator of what is right or wrong um, because we've already judged ourselves and decided that nothing we do is ever actually wrong. It's justified because we have our reasons. And I think that this is totally um, what has severed us from everyone else. So like once we've decided that we don't need to listen to anyone, that we are our own bosses, then we have total freedom to do what we want. But here's the thing. It doesn't usually mean that we will do all the good things. We're not going to, with that freedom, do all the charity, right? right? We're not going to, yeah, be the best person we can be. No, usually by this point in our lives, that type of freedom is the freedom to sin and to participate in soul crushing and society ruining behaviors. I've been there. I'm speaking from experience. The saddest thing about this type of freedom is that it's just another type of captivity that we become Mm. slaves to our sinful choices and lifestyles. Mm -hmm. And that is exactly what will bring us to the peak of this mountain. The last step on the climb of Mount Pride is the habit of sinning. And it is that full realization, like you said, of a life um, that's lived in slavery, devoid of charity, and totally and completely centered around yourself. Well, when it becomes a habit, it becomes something we totally lose control over, right? Something that then becomes Mm. necessary to sustain us. And then it becomes incredibly hard to overcome. Like we're saying, it's not impossible, but we become consumed by it. I think this is huge because I realize there's a huge difference between surrendering and being overcome by something. Because when we talk about humility later, we're going to talk about surrendering. But um, both of these things, we kind of end up the same. We we kind of go under. Let's use the water. We either surrender and we go under or we're overcome by a wave. But one is voluntary and it takes great strength and courage and moral fortitude. The other one happens when we've given up the fight. 
you just become a slave to the habit of sinning. And if anybody's ever had to break a habit, I mean, I used to smoke, I used to swear, I had a lot of bad habits and to have to try to overcome those. I know what a fight that is. And that is what pride is. And it just gets us to the point where it's like, I'm going to meet my needs because I am above everybody else and I deserve this or I am entitled to this. And I am the most important person. And that's it. You're standing at the peak of that mountain and you think it's going to be glorious and you just see everything you trampled over and everyone to get to that point. Yeah. So we can see like how critical it is for our own growth to take a look at our own pitfalls of pride. They come for all of us. Um, But even looking beyond ourselves, we see that to give way to these steps cuts us off more and more with every small ascent from other people. We were designed to live in community. And if we are going to persevere in extending that love and grace out to our families, out to our communities, then we need to mend those broken ties by acknowledging the times that we have fail to recognize these missteps, and then try to overcome them even further. This is how we change the world, by first working on ourselves and then going out and lending it to the rest of the world and the communities around us. So as we said in last week's episode, this is not something talked about in the secular world. It just isn't. It is very much a Christian thing. And I think that this is the difference. The, the big difference is that a Christian then takes all of this information and they take it seriously. And then they utilize 2000 years worth of tools in order to grow in holiness, to beg God to help them overcome these things. How can we fix ourselves? The difference then with the secular world is we're not asking how we can fix our mother or change our mother, our spouse, our children, our boss, the world around us. No, no. We lay all of that down in front of our spiritual director or a priest or God himself. And we just say, I want to be fixed. I want to overcome this. And Mm. I wasn't a practicing Christian until I was in my early 30s. So I remember very well what the secular world has to offer us in this. And I know that the secular world does everything it can to avoid these discussions. But I can't help but imagine how much more fruitful it would be, albeit painful during the process, for people on that quest of self-knowledge to do a thorough examination of conscience first. And we have talked about those so many times. And then that often means you have to admit to pages long of your faults and the ways that you have hurt others over the years. And I don't know how after we've gone through that, we can't grow. I mean, it would be inevitable. So I finally started to understand that in growing in humility, I don't have to discredit all of the gifts and talents and skills I do have that God has blessed me immensely with those things. But I understand that those things come from him. It is all grace. It's all grace. My faults are my own. I'm ready to acknowledge them. Um, But I need his help in overcoming those things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And while things may seem dire now, fear not, because (laughs) next week we're going to wrap up this whole trilogy. We'll call it a trilogy now on humility with the way to get down with a pathway that helps us get down from this mountain and to really figure out and to talk about and explore the very practical and very accessible ways that we can begin to work on and cultivate this virtue in our everyday lives and therefore become beacons of hope and help in our world instead of a pitfall for other people. Okay, it's time for our What We're Loving This Week segment of the show. So Lindsay, what have you been loving this week? Well, this has been a very busy week, so I've only been able to take in like snippets of things. You know, those weeks where you're like 15 minutes here. Um, So I was going through like TV shows, movies, podcasts, books, um, but I couldn't give any of those enough of my attention. But there is one medium that only requires snippets and it's cookbooks. So I have a new favorite cookbook this week. 
So the brand new Nigella Lawson cookbook just launched in Canada and the U.S. It's been out in Britain for a couple of months, but then they have to change the, they have to convert all of the measurements and everything, right, into Mm -hmm. the American and Canadian system. So um, it's called Cook, Eat, Repeat, and it is glorious. Um, She did film Mm -hmm. a TV show that goes with the book, as she always does, but I haven't seen it available here yet, but keep an eye out for that as well. Um, So I've barely skimmed it, but there was something in the table of contents that jumped out at me and it just provided further evidence that Nigella and I are linked somehow in this universe. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And there is a chapter called A Loving Defense of Brown Foods. And I lost my mind Mm. because people who know me well know that for most of my life until about five years ago, I only ate brown foods and I referred to them as brown foods. And so for my Nigella to write an entire chapter, A Loving Defense of Brown Foods, it just made my... (laughs) year it made my year let's be dramatic (laughs) so that's it cook eat repeat so what are you loving this week (laughs) well um unlike last week's this one does kind of fit together with yours (laughs) i would say and i am loving the daily collection from theology of home Mm. so i've been trying to limit how much social media i'm consuming particularly in the mornings because it really it, it Mostly it just cuts down on the amount of time I waste (laughs) online because I lack so much discipline in the mornings. (laughs) Um, And I do find that it really helps my day begin on a good note when I can do this. So one of the things that has really helped me has been Theology of Home's daily collection, which is a curation of links and thanks from around the internet. And it's emailed to you every day right into your inbox. So the articles are curated by Carrie Grass and Noelle Maring, the founders of Theology of Home, and they both have such an eye for beauty and style, as well as a heart for home and growing in faith and virtue. So the things that they recommend are always ones that I find fill my desire for inspiration, and they really make me think throughout the day. Everything from home design to recipes, theology and literature, there's ministry and lifestyle. There's truly such a wide range in their curation that it's always interesting to see what comes up. And the reason why this has been so helpful to me and why I love it so much is because I do still want to sit and read something uh, with my coffee after like my morning prayer time. But rather than jumping right into the news or um, scrolling on social media, the pieces in this collection really feed my imagination and it engages me in a positive way. So we talk so much about finding things in the world that fill our lives and homes with truth, goodness, and beauty. And waking up to the Theology of Homes Daily Collection has truly been one of those things for me and it's really elevated my morning routine. Okay, that's going to do it for us this week. If you want to get in touch and chat with us about our topic today, you can find us on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com or leave us a comment on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at The Modern Lady Podcast. I'm Michelle Sachs, and you can find me on Instagram at mmsachs. And I'm Lindsay Murray, and you can find me on Instagram at lindsayhomemaker. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week and we will see you next time. Mm